So really uh, simple message this morning, difficult though, really difficult. So really simple, but really difficult. Uh, to, to get it, we got we to look at what's going on in our first reading here. And then I think also in the gospel, but, but the first reading. So this is just a chunk. It's, it's four verses of a bigger story. So uh, if you go home later, uh, or when you go home later today, open up to the second book of Kings. It's in the Old Testament. Chapter five, you read the whole story. So it's about this guy, Naaman who is what? He's the commander of the army of the king of Syria. So he's not from Israel, so he's not one of God's chosen people, but he's commander of an army. So you got, you got to try to imagine like all of, the, all, all of the sort of pomp and circumstance that comes with this, right? He's, he's, he's the guy. So there's the king, and he's the commander of the king's army. So he's got a really close connection with the king, and he's got a lot of power and authority. And, and so, like, this, this is the story. So as we're hearing this, it's like, okay, we're dealing with someone who the world would say is really important, right? And, and he's, so he's the commander, but what does it say? It says, he was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. He was a leper. So you got to imagine, he had all this power, and yet... In, in spite of all the power, or, or maybe not even considering how much power he had, he had this disease, leprosy. Now, we today know a lot more about leprosy and about how it's, it's, it's more curable than they originally thought, and it's not as contagious as they originally thought. But, but nonetheless, at this time, there was no cure known for leprosy, and they thought it was a really contagious disease. So for a person to have leprosy, was, it was a death sentence, but then it was also like a social death sentence. For, for a person to be leper, they were an outcast. We, and we see this in the gospel, these, these lepers, they have to stand at a distance from everyone and they have to shout for Jesus. So for Naaman, like this was his future. To have to simply like be, it's like I'm so powerful and yet all of this is gonna be taken from me because, because I have this disease that's just gonna eat away at my flesh. Leprosy, it, it numbs your nerves so that you, you don't feel anything. And so sometimes you can hurt yourself really without even being aware of it. And eventually what can happen with lepers is if it's untreated is their bodies, since they don't feel feelings in their fingers or their, their toes, their bodies will actually absorb their fingers. So they'll just have like stubs at the end of their arms or at the end of their legs rather than feet and hands. So it's just like a humiliating, embarrassing disease to have. You gotta think like this is. So you just this imagine this guy with great power, with great authority. He's he's like looking forward to this future, which is miserable, terrible. That maybe he himself wouldn't wish upon even his worst enemies, although maybe he would, right? He's commander of an army. But nonetheless, like this, this is what his future is, and so you just gotta like imagine that, and then he finds himself in this dire situation of like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Well. In a previous war, he had captured an Israelite girl. And this girl says, well, if only you would go to the holy man of God in my country, Elisha, the prophet. And so Naaman, desperate, right, he's realizing there's no one that can fix me. And the gods that I've prayed to, right, these, he was a non-Israelite, so he was worshiping and praying to false gods. That is, that he was praying to things that he thought could heal him, and they, they weren't healing him. So he's, he's like at his, his last end, right? And he's like, okay, fine, I'll go. And so he travels all the way to Israel uh, 
he encounters this holy man of God. At first, he's kind of rejected by the king because the king doesn't even know about Elisha, the prophet. But then he gets to Elisha, the prophet, and Elisha tells him, okay, we'll just go wash in this river seven times. And he rejects it at first, but then his servant convinces him, like, no, you, you should do this, right? Uh, and so he does, and then he's healed of his leprosy. That's, that's the reading that we get here. So he went down and plunged into the Jordan seven times at the word of Elisha, the man of God. His flesh became again like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean of his leprosy. Now, this, this is a really big story, right? It's a, it's a really fantastic miracle that takes place through Elisha, through, from God, through Elisha. It's like incredible in itself. But the, the point of the story is not that he was cured of his leprosy. The point is that through the curing of his leprosy, he encountered the true God. Right? We have to, we have to understand this, that our God... He sees that men and women throughout all of history are prone to give their attention to someone other than to him. And so if he sees this, he wants people to come to know him. So any miracle he works, it's not simply so that that person can then be fully healthy, but it's, it's, through, it's so that through the miracle, this person can come to know him, the true God. And what I was thinking about was this, right? Like, this guy before, he was worshiping false gods. Perhaps he was consumed with his power that he had, puffed up in pridefulness. And then he got leprosy, and it's through his leprosy that he met the true God. So that then he could say this, right? From now on, I will no longer offer holocaust or sacrifice to any other God except to the Lord. So I was thinking about this. It's only because of his leprosy that he came to know the true God. Somehow, God was able to work through this really terrible situation so that he could introduce himself to, to, to Naaman. And if he didn't have leprosy, Naaman probably never would have met the Lord, the true God. And so if this is the case, that God is working kind of behind the scenes to make it so that, so that he could come to know the Lord, then, then what do we actually call this? We call it a gift. Would you ever think about that? That Naaman's disease, his suffering, was actually a gift from God. Because without that gift, he doesn't ever come to know God. Without that gift, Naaman continues to worship false gods. He continues to be puffed up in his own pridefulness. He, he considers that the God of the Israelites isn't even that important, isn't that powerful. But it's when he encounters this disease, this suffering, that he actually comes to know the Lord, the true God. The same for the lepers in our gospel, right? They're lepers, and so they have to stand at a distance. They're being obedient to the law. They're standing at a distance, and they call out to Jesus. And we know this about Jesus, that Jesus, when he's working in the gospels, when he's living, he tends to notice more often than anything else, he tends to notice those who suffer. He tends to notice those who are lowly, who have apparently less value in the eyes of the world. He notices them more than anyone else. And so we can say it's because they had leprosy that Jesus noticed them. 
that if they didn't have leprosy, perhaps Jesus wouldn't have noticed them. For sure, if they didn't have leprosy, they wouldn't be the the topic of a gospel passage at Sunday Mass 2,000 years later. They wouldn't even be in the gospels. But because of their disease that they had, they were actually favored by God and came to know Jesus in a more intimate, personal way. So what would we say about their leprosy then? It's a gift. Maybe you can catch what I'm trying to get at here. When we encounter suffering in our lives, whatever it might be, when we encounter disease, illness, death, or if it's something less important, bad weather, that first day when you have to put socks on, wearing sandals all the time, another Viking's loss, whatever it may be, whenever we encounter suffering in our lives, do you consider that this is a gift from God? And what do you do when someone gives you a gift? What's the first thing your parents taught you when you were a kid when someone gives you a gift? What do you say? Thank you. Do you thank God for your suffering? Some of us here have cancer. Some of us here have lost our spouses within the last year or so. Some of us are going through or have had broken relationships in your marriages, in your families. Do you thank God for that? It sounds crazy, right? Why would I thank God for this broken relationship? Why would I thank God for this disease? Why would I thank God for letting my spouse die? In some ways, there's not a satisfying answer for why. But the point is that in our times of suffering, this is the place where God, we could say, notices us the most. And there's a temptation when we suffer. There's a temptation when when we have those broken relationships. There's a temptation when the weather is crummy. There's a temptation when the crops are ruined. There's a temptation when, when, when I encounter death in my life. There's a temptation when I encounter disease. For me, rather than to stop and thank God in humility and ask him for his help, the temptation is for me to actually remain firm where I'm at and to actually puff myself up more. Rather than thanking God, the temptation is to complain against him and say, God, what the hell are you doing? Don't you know this isn't how it's supposed to work? God, you should be taking care of me. Why aren't you taking care of me? That's the temptation. And if we do that, when we suffer, when we have broken relationships, when the crops aren't coming out like they're supposed to, when, when life isn't playing out the way that I want it to play out, If we give in to that temptation, then we actually cut ourselves off from the Lord because he can't heal a a hard heart. The only thing he can heal is a broken heart. So in your times of suffering, yes, let it be times of suffering. Let it be times where you really experience pain and sadness. When When you're looking at death knocking on your doorstep, where you're actually like feeling bad about that. At the same time, let your response be, blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, I don't know how you're going to work this out in my life. 
Lord, I don't know how you're gonna bring healing to my life, whether you're gonna bring healing now or whether you're gonna bring healing only after I die. I don't know how you're gonna heal this relationship. I don't know, Lord, how you're gonna provide for me and for my family. I don't, I don't know the answers, Lord, but what I know is that you are good and that you notice us when we are feeling most down. And so I'm feeling terrible right now, Lord. And so I say to you, blessed be your name. And thank you, thank you, Lord, actually, for letting me come to this place. Because maybe without coming to this place of such depravity, this place of such brokenness, if I wasn't here, Lord, maybe I would just be puffed up in pride. And I wouldn't actually have this opportunity to meet you. I wouldn't have this opportunity for you to notice me because I'd be too busy with my own things. I know this sounds crazy. St. Paul talks about this, actually, in the first letter of the Corinthians. I'll just finish with this. He says this, the word of the cross is folly, that's foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. People demand signs. People seek worldly wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to those who seek signs, foolishness to those who seek worldly wisdom. But to those who are called, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is what St. Paul says to Timothy. If we have died with him, we shall live with him. It doesn't make sense that somehow through death we can live. And yet we look to the cross of Jesus and we see that Jesus only rose from the dead because he first died on the cross, because he first experienced humiliation and misery and a broken heart. It's only because of that that the resurrection could come forward in all of its power and all of its glory. So for you and I, brothers and sisters, we can only encounter eternal glory with Jesus if we first let ourselves die to the things that we want, to the things that we expect, to our insistence on our preferences. Only when we die to those and we yield to the Lord God and we truly mean it when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If we truly mean it when we say those words, this will lead us to a place of surrender so that whatever life throws at us, we can see it all as a gift to God and we can give thanks to God in all circumstances.